Hi, my name is Mandy Griffin. And I'm Katie Swalwell. And this is Our Dirty Laundry. A podcast about white women making a mess of things. Hey everybody, welcome back to Our Dirty Laundry. I'm Mandy. I'm Katie. And we're going to keep talking about voting. (laughs) Yeah, if you're new to our podcast, we follow uh, our intuition that white women have been shitty. And lo and behold, history is proving us right. And we're (laughs) digging into the past to help us be better in the present and build a better future. So if you're interested in the history of white women's complicity and white supremacy, you've come to the right place. Welcome. We're happy to have you. And these uh, longer episodes that come out on Fridays are our deep dive into history, either interviews with historians and activists or us teaching each other about history. We also have mini-sodes that we've started um, that turn up on Tuesdays, and we're thrilled to see people are listening to those and enjoying those. Again, props to Mandy because I was a little skeptical, but now I have like a list of things we have to talk about, and it's longer than our episode list from Minnesota. So thank you. Uh, well, yes, you can give me props. And now I have to give myself unprops. I told Katie that I had to like discuss something from the Minnesota, but I didn't tell her what. So I, I was listening racing. to it. No, no, no. I was annoyed with myself. So I got really annoyed with myself at the end part where I was like sharing um, the stories that I told about my aunt and then about myself because I was, as I was listening, I was like, ah, you're such a fucking annoying white person. You're talking about yourself (laughs) again. Like you're centering this on yourself. And that's not the point. Like there were so many better points to make from the Goldilocks story. Like not, no, like you're going to hit on some idiot white girl in an emergency room. But like when these things are ingrained in your subconscious, then you end up being Amy Cooper who calls the police on (laughs) someone in Central Park because they told you to put your dog on a leash. You were doing something wrong. Then you act like the victim. That's what happens. And that's way more serious than my stupid bullshit. So (laughs) I apologize. For being an annoying white woman, I'm still trying to get better. I'm owning it. So (laughs) I mean, that means a lot. I think that's really important. I'm going to guess this is not the first time. They're the last time that either one of us will listen back and realize like, oh, fuck, that was a stupid way to take it. So I actually just thank you for saying that and putting that out there and creating space where no doubt we will have to do that again. I really appreciate that. Well, and I think that, you know, we're all going to have our stories that we relate to, but part of it is getting out of our own stories and trying to relate to other people's Mm. stories. And that's what Mm. we are aiming to do. So that's right. Well, and one of our principles on our website, we talk about the four principles that guided us as we were planning this podcast and as we're doing it. And one of them is unflinching. We want to be very focused on white supremacy. So maybe that's just our keyword we say to each other. If we feel like one of us is drifting, because I like our tangents. I'm not anti-tangent, but if we're drifting too far or like you were saying just in your reflection that you feel like you're stealing the the thunder from what we're trying to draw attention to, then that's our code word for each other. We'll just say flinch, 
Which, <laughs> and that's what we'll get you know, back how, on about. track. Yeah. And if you guys um, would like to share with us any of those times where you're like, okay, ladies, you missed a better point that you yes. could have been making, please Tell share. <laughs> we we have a new way you can share. So here's what we want you to do this week. I made an Instagram page. It's <laughs> our dirty laundry podcast. That's the handle. Please go and follow it. We're trying to put up. Um, a little post for each episode that we do that has some of the information links to follow. And then that's somewhere where you can also comment under there and tell us what you thought, tell us your extra thoughts, whatever you want to. And you can also share those posts on your stories so that we can get more people listening. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that'd be fun. That'd be so. great. We really do love hearing from people. Thus far, it's been like friends of friends that we have heard from and people have screenshotted text messages that they've had with friends that that are really getting something out of it or are enjoying it. And that helps us so much that that's really great for us to hear. Um, or to Mandy's point, if you have concerns, we definitely want to hear that too. So please email us. We both have emails, uh, Mandy and Katie at OurDirtyLaundryPodcast.com to let us know how this is going. Why are you listening? What's bringing you to this space? We're really excited um, to have everybody here. We also are going to feature, it won't be every minisode for sure, but at least once a series, once a topic, we will try to feature the local laundry of a place that has a lot of listeners. And we... I think are going to focus on Atlanta first for yeah. our first local laundry mini sode coming up because we have a lot of listeners in Atlanta and we want to show some love. So if yeah. you would like us to feature your local laundry, also send us an email. We'd love to yeah. hear from you. We're going to show some love by talking shit on your city. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> also, I have to say a, thank, a public thank you to you for knowing that Instagram exists and how to use it because it was embarrassing. I'm glad no one watched me try to figure it out. It literally took me like at least an hour to figure out that it's not built for compute desktops like you can only look at things i literally spent an hour trying to figure out like where's the post button where's the ad button and then finally realized oh this is for your phone so it's not here it was a tragic failure and i am so grateful that you are way savvier and like punchier on social media it is not my forte so well we're trying to figure it out so we'll get there um The one other thing is we do have a website. We've talked about that before. We have a blog on there where we post extra things about the episodes and then stuff in between the episodes if we find little articles or uh, other things that we find interesting. And then you can also go on there and it is once again, our dirty laundry podcast.com mm-hmm. um, and subscribe to our email list. And one of these days we'll get our act together and send out some more regular emails <laughs> yeah, with information. We will. You'll get to know the cool stuff once we figure out what that stuff is. So <laughs> get on the list. <laughs> it's great. Well, thank you. And just as always subscribe, share that we, the reason we do this is because this these histories have really impacted us and are helping us be better people in the world. And if that can help other people, we want it to. So yep. all of the white women you think need to hear this or people of color who you think need to listen cathartically to white women talk about how shitty it is. <laughs> yes, whatever your reason, we're glad you're here. We're glad you're listening. Unless your reason is to like, you know, track us down and shut us up. In which case, good luck. Bastards. (laughs) Um, Okay. So our last, 
Yeah, I hope I didn't just tempt fate, whatever. So the, <laughs> the last episode, we had an amazing interview with Sally Rushwagner. And mm-hmm. before that, we were talking about the suffrage movement. So I'm wondering if you remember kind of where we left off or what were some of the um, – I, I know, but I'm just curious, like, what's on your mind You're from that You're quizzing me? You didn't tell me I was going to be quizzed. Shit. <laughs> no pressure. No. I remember, I think we ended with a quote from, yes. oh, now I'm going to mess her name up, but I know what it we is, will, uh, from Frances Ellen Watkins Harper. Yes. Um, we will yes. get to her story, and I'm glad because that quote is one of my all-time favorites. I'm glad you remembered yes. that. So, so yes. yeah, we were talking about the start of, I think, well, not the start. We we're kind of getting into the <laughs> middle of the suffrage, yes. <laughs> the suffrage movement. And then we, when we're talking, we talked about the main white women that we all know have mm-hmm. been involved, mm-hmm. um, how they got involved. We talked about the um, abolition uh, mm-hmm, connection mm-hmm. between the abolitionist societies and how these white women then came into more women's rights. And then I think we were going to start talking about the black women that don't get talked about. Yes, um, exactly. We've got a little more foundation, I think, of the white women that are going to play a role in the story because yeah. they pulled some shit. So we're going to yeah, talk a little bit about them. But yes, exactly. That we were talking about the ways that abolitionist circles were the genesis of a lot of the activism because they were organizations that were targeting women and benefiting from the labor of women, but not Mm -hmm. letting them be members, not letting them speak. And so it like really forced this point of what was called the woman question Mm. in abolitionist circles. And then the takeaway from last time was probably that everybody screwed black women. Like, yeah, they like always, it just wasn't great. It was not great. Okay. There was that shining moment. Don't forget where women did stand up together and they burned the building down. So that's what happened with that. Okay. So Mm -hmm. we're, we're about in the 1850s. And I think today, I'm going to get us to the end of the 19th century, and then we'll look at like the last couple of decades before the 19th Amendment gets passed next week. So in put on your best corset, (laughs) snuggle up, let's get into 19th century history. Okay, so 1850s to paint a picture for people who maybe don't have like the world's best U.S. history timeline. Hmm. I teach I teach a methods class at a university for people who are becoming social studies teachers. And my students will tell you when I make them do a, like a mental timeline of U.S. history, they like laugh, they cry, they hate this activity because the timelines are always so sad and pathetic. It's like it's like revolutionary war, question mark, civil war, question mark, World War II. I've had a student put World War II before World War One before. Oh. Like that should be at least like the order yeah. should be there. Did they make it through the class? I mean, they will tell you this is really a sad <laughs> state of affairs and they want to do better by their yep. future students. So we have a lot of work to do. Okay. So 1850, okay. paint a picture that they're – the United States was at war with Mexico. They win all of this land. And the compromise of 1850 is deciding whether slavery is going to extend into that territory. So there are all of these sort of national level arguments about slavery. The Fugitive Slave Act gets passed to make it a federal crime to uh, assist people escaping slavery. There's all sorts of debates, remember, about whether Um, freed black people should stay in the U.S. or if they Mm -hmm. should go. Those are debates kind of all over the place. Um, 
you know, there are white people that advocate it. There are black people that advocate it. There are white people against it. There are black people against it. So amidst all of this, this is when the suffrage movement really picks up steam. And remember, too, that those early conversations in the 1830s, 1840s, 1850s, it wasn't a given that women were going to fight for the right to vote, that that was actually yeah. even among like radical progressive women. There were really big debates about it. Like for black women, a lot of them were focused on harassment and assault in transportation, like mm-hmm train cars and so they they were like could we look at the issue of like public assault on our bodies and you know issues like that divorce you know there were all sorts of reproductive rights it wasn't clear that this was going to be like the number one issue um so i wanted to talk about the three white women that get that we tend to remember Mm -hmm. not matilda jocelyn gage because they wrote her out of the story even though she was really influential at the time. And then of course, there are all sorts of women of color who were very active and influential at the time, but white women didn't recognize that or appropriately credit them. So these are three names that you might be familiar with. Lucy Stone, Mm -hmm. Susan B. Anthony of the quarter. Uh, (laughs) Isn't she on a quarter? (laughs) This is really bad. Is she on some quarters? Because isn't it Washington who's on most of the quarters? Let's stop talking about it because I don't know. There's some coin (laughs) she's on. I know that much. Um, And then Elizabeth Cady Stanton. So just quickly, um, Lucy Stone, I won't spend too much time on her because she ends up kind of like ditching out for different reasons. So she herself wasn't really sure about whether to fight for the right to vote. She was more interested in sexual and reproductive autonomy and property rights and abolition. She had been friends with Frederick Douglass, but then he ends up breaking ties with her because she makes money on this speaking tour of the South and spoke in whites only halls. Mm. And so Frederick's like, not cool, which Mm -hmm. it isn't. And uh, but she's certainly not the only one who did that. Yeah. And then she was married to this dude, Henry Blackwell, uh, who pressured her to stay home with their daughter and that he would work, but he could never find work. And so oh, yeah. she was like nationally famous and could make money speaking. And he was like, yeah, yeah, that's great, but stay home. And then I'll try to find a job. So she had some personal stuff going on mm-hmm. and, wasn't even like really into kind of the direction things were going. So she kind of falls off. Okay. Susan B. Anthony, uh, she was born in 1820 into a pretty prominent Quaker family in Massachusetts. Her dad was friends with Frederick Douglass and William Lloyd Garrison, really famous abolitionist. Um, she, oh, this is sad, earned the nickname Napoleon for kind of like her way that she was in the world and suffered insults for being quote, an unattractive reject, which I think is pretty harsh, even though I will not be a defender (laughs) of her in this podcast. I would never like throw that slang. Like I I would not knock her for that. Let's just make this a rule that we need to follow. If you have a problem with somebody's ideas, attack their ideas. Let's stay away from the physical characteristics attacking. I mean, it's low hanging fruit. It's easy. Believe me, I'm tempted to do it when I look at pictures of Marjorie Taylor Greene sometimes, but that bitch has got got way more problems that I can go after. I don't want our mini sounds to become like obsessed with her, but recently she has just shit on trans people. 
people. So I, it's like, put it on the She's list. She's so bad. She's Oy. so bad. Anyway, but so yes. we, we can attack Thank ideas. You. Let's not actually, call people unattractive rejects. <laughs> no, we should not do that. She actually, like uh, many of these women did not get married and did not have kids. She was not a particularly good speaker, but she was like the brains of the operation. Was she a lesbian or, or thought to be? I don't know. I have I more remember. that I'm reading about that. Okay. Carrie Chapman Cat was likely um she was married mm-hmm. to two different men but then lived with a woman for like 30 years so mm-hmm. yeah there mm-hmm. were lots of queer women i will get back to you on that i okay. don't know so she um so especially because lucy stone gets pregnant elizabeth katie stan gets pregnant so she's kind of like running the operation so i think of mm-hmm. her as like the boss kind of yeah. because she wasn't really like the face of the movement it doesn't sound like she did do speaking and she did do things but it wasn't like her her strong suit. Okay. So Elizabeth Cady Stanton was born to a prominent family in upstate New York. Her dad had been a lawyer. She soaked up a lot from him. He inherited a bunch of money or she inherited a bunch of money because he had been partners with John Jacob Astor, this like fancy pants, rich dude. And her cousin Garrett Smith was this super radical who she would meet people through and like kind of be plugged into the radical scene. And then she married Henry, who is an anti-slavery orator, um, that's who she was on her honeymoon with when she was at the convention where she meets uh, Lucretia Mott, if you remember, mm-hmm. that they're on their honeymoon and oh, they're yeah. doing like, you know, anti-slavery things. And sounds that's romantic. how they get connected. So from, actually, that sounds kind of amazing <laughs> I mean, to me. But yes. sound cool, but- on my honeymoon, I beat my husband in Scrabble and it, he was grumpy about it for like a full 48 hours. It was the most <laughs> resounding defeat. Like uh, it, it was an embarrassment. So I actually understood why he was sad. Okay. So she, <laughs> Her husband was like on the speaking circuit quite a bit. And she says she felt like a caged lioness at home with seven children from infant to 17 years old. And Mm. she felt like she had all of this to offer intellectually and like in terms of her ideas and her speaking. So she starts writing. And Faye Dutton, whose book we talked about a couple weeks ago, she said, um, Stanton considered separate sphere ideology, which is what Mandy, what you talked about Mm -hmm. with the anti-suffragists. She considered it twaddle because it promised female influence, but delivered more than sappy lip service. And she scorned private wheedling in favor of equal political rights. I so love she the really, word twaddle, can I, I say? I'm going to start using uh, that. It's pretty great. What a bunch of twaddle. A bunch of twaddle. And so she and Susan <laughs> were like basically the brains behind we need to focus on suffrage. Even though a lot of the women they were working with disagreed or weren't sure, they, they were like pretty laser focused on that issue. She was also really good friends with Frederick Douglass and he stayed friends with her, even though she credited his perception of his own humanity and rights to quote his few drops of Saxon blood. She said that in 1854. Oh, wow. So yeah, must, must be so. And, <laughs> and Douglas definitely called her out for um, what Dutton calls her instrumental use of racist rhetoric that, and, and this comes up, this will come up a lot that Stanton at, at a later point in her career is arguing that white legislature, like asking white legislators why they would give black men the vote before their own wives and mothers, you know, just like creepy yeah, gross I remember arguments that, that are Ick. ugly. And that's, that's like one of the lighter ones. So we're going to get into some gross, dirty places. She was always really into politics, her husband was super political, and she Dutton talks about how she agonized over how to be a politically effective radical, how to avoid the fate of the ineffectual outsider or the co-opted, 
insider. And she and her husband, their politics are them grappling with that and then making compromises. Like I think they both are kind of co-opted insiders. Her husband helped form the Free Soil Party that was focused on stopping the expansion of slavery, but not stopping it. Mm. Like just keeping it from expanding. It's like, well, that's better than nothing. You know, that kind of argument. Like, well, it's better than nothing. It's like, well, easy for you to say you're not enslaved. So um, also then her husband campaigns for Franklin Pierce for president, even though he was against abolition because he needed a job. And then Franklin Pierce didn't give him a job. So Mm -hmm. this comes up a lot too, where people compromise their values like to get something in exchange and then and that thing doesn't come through and you're like yeah that's why that's why you shouldn't do that it's called karma so don't it's sell called, out it's called a karma <laughs> so then um also in the 1850s this is when the colored conventions pick up steam i talked about those last time they um they kind of go back and forth between whether they allow women to be delegates or officers. Like there's just a bunch of junk. Um, like, oh, this isn't a women's rights convention. We're talking about blackness and women, black women are like, yeah, exactly. We need to talk about it all. And, um, Martha Jones in the book Vanguard says, Everywhere across this fractured political landscape, black women took advantage of the cracks. They were newly strategic and took every chance to make inroads. So just over and over and over again, one of the lessons of this story is that black women are just constantly making lemonade. Always, always, always. And constantly getting lemons from various people who should be in solidarity with them. So 1858 is the first national Women's Rights Convention in Worcester, Massachusetts, which I'm probably mispronouncing. No, I think that's right. Maybe. You want to say like Worcester, but I don't think that. I think it's Worcester, even though that okay. makes absolutely no sense when you no. look at the word. Okay. A thousand people attended. Both men and women spoke. It was interracial, although not a ton of people of color were there. And they, they definitely needed money. And the financial piece is going to come into play uh, later in this story because that is the impetus for some really terrible decisions. Mm -hmm. But it was hard for women to get time to raise money for women's activism unless they could make money speaking, which meant they needed money to pay for people to help take care of their family. So it was just kind of like a chicken egg situation. And then the other flip side of it was that a lot like a lot of the sources for money pitted women's rights against abolition. Like Mm -hmm. we'll fund one of you, but we won't fund both of you. So they were, like fighting for kind of crumbs at this table of progressive politics, mm. which also happens Sounds today and like today super sex. Okay. Mm-hmm. So lots of debates about what we should do at this meeting in 1858, the white ladies at this meeting, not all of them, but this one in particular, Jane Gray Swissom was the editor of an anti-slavery paper. And she, like a lot of the white women would compare their, their, themselves to slaves. That was like a metaphor they kept using over and over yeah, and over again. Problematic. Yes. And I mean, even though we've established like in the eyes of the law, white women, you know, really did not have very many right. rights whatsoever. Like right. it was pretty bad, but very different but than they being weren't owned enslaved, and, right? Their yeah, children, right? Physically. So, yes. Yeah. Um, and like ripped away from their root. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So Jane Gray Swissom. I want to make sure we remember her name because she sucks. I just wrote mm. in my notes. Fuck you, Jane. Cause I really <laughs> just, she rubbed me the wrong way that she said the convention was wonderful quote, except for the introduction of the color question. Oh, dang. Yes. Jane, the editor of an anti-slavery paper. 
That's like, so how dare, how very dare you? Yes, I just cannot. Also, um, there were debates about free love at this convention, which freaked out some of the more conservative women. Um, so there's just a lot kind of going on. Sojourner Truth also spoke at this meeting. So I wanted to give a little bit of details about her. I'm sure that's a familiar name mm-hmm. for many people. Um, and I got her biographical gist. I knew I knew a little, but I actually didn't know quite a bit of this. I got it from blackpast.org, which I trust more because like the Library of Congress or National Park Service, I feel like tends to sidestep stuff, tiptoe around stuff. But Black Past is like bazam, like this is what was going on. So that I like for a lot of this history. Anyway, um, she was born in 1797 in New York, um, enslaved. She was born into slavery and was named Isabella. She was bought and sold several times as a child. And I can't just Mm. say that without letting it sink in that this is what it means to have had slavery was children were bought and sold away from their family. It's just so fucking horrible. I th- like I think when we learn about slavery and we talk about it, I don't know why it really struck me with this yeah. particular story, but just like I never want to dilute the horror of it. Yeah. Children. Like yeah. my daughter's almost four. To think that or my son is 10 months old, to think I would never see them again, that I would have no way of knowing if they were in a decent situation or a terrible situation. Like it's so horrifying. So I know we don't need to like dwell on it forever, but the fuck that is, Oh my God. Yes. So there we are. Isabella (sighs) was married and had five children while she was enslaved. And then in 1827, New York emancipated people, but the family that owned her said she owed them work. So they didn't let her take advantage of emancipation. So she walked off with her kid, literally just walked out um, with her youngest and then stayed with an abolitionist family for a while until she could get on her feet. She ended up moving to New York City with her son. She got involved in a cult called the kingdom, which now that's all I ever want to learn about. Mm. What? And then the the guy who was in charge of that cult, his name was Matthias and apparently treated her really terribly. So she like escaped the cult. I mean, just what? In what the way. And then, yes, what a life. In 1843, she took the name Sojourner of Truth and started preaching. She lived in a utopian community for a few years. So just this, like, really fascinating life. In 18, the 1850s that we're talking about, she spoke nationally. She wrote this autobiography with the help of a friend because she didn't read or write. Um, she also was a proponent of setting up settlements in the West for Black people. Um, just really interesting. So at this convention, the first women's rights convention, she shows up and I love this. She speaks about, she tells the white women in the audience that she is not a metaphor. Mm. Yes. Right. Like you're talking about yourselves as slaves. I was enslaved. Like Mm -hmm. knock it off. Then uh, Martha Jones talks about how the next year, the convention As organizers were planning it, they were wondering whether including women like Truth posed a problem, Joan says, because Truth and others had introduced the issue of racism into meetings called to combat sexism. And this was called the color question. And white, many white women deemed it a sidebar and distraction. And Jane Swisshelm again. Here's Mm -hmm. a quote from Jane. 
The convention was not called to discuss the rights of color, and we think it was altogether irrelevant and unwise to introduce the question. As for colored women, all the interest they have in this reform is as women. All it can do for them is to is raise them to the level of men of their own class. And then I just wrote, okay, Jane, in all caps, because <laughs> I hate her. Yeah. I think this is still, again, where we keep struggling in... Mm -hmm. our discussions today is that we continually disregard the intersection of mm -hmm. things like mm -hmm. race and gender and sexuality and all of that kind of thing. Class, because in class, ability. we just don't sure. want to address the complications. And we think that we can push them all aside and just get to the one thing we care about. And mm -hmm. that's where we keep messing up. Yes. I, I wonder for people listening, like one of the debates I think is raging right now that where this is showing up is on whether schools should reopen mm -hmm. and it's complicated and messy, but man, like there are, there is a lot of room to check ourselves in those debates around race and class in particular, yeah. and not to say we will disagree with people or agree with people on those lines, but just to be so, so careful about how that's showing up in those debates and what we're like using our voice to lobby for. Um, yeah, I, I'm sure people have who have kids who are listening are, are aware of how that's playing out. Yeah. Anyway, this um, Sojourner Truth does come to the next convention that following year, and she gives a speech that um, becomes known as her aren't I a woman speech. She didn't actually say that mm -hmm. exact quote, but it's this like pretty famous speech that she gave. And then she doesn't go back because um, this is according to Dudden, those black women who could muster the resources and the time for activism tended to choose a third way, working in mutual aid, charitable and church groups within the black community. Those who showed up and spoke in the black conventions or the women's rights conventions did vital work, helping to keep both movements honest about the universality of human rights, but they were few in number. And then, so after this, like most of the black women peel off, which should be a giant red flag to the white women in the group, but no one's, caring or paying attention. And then the next couple of years, Stan and Anthony are trying to push suffrage, but it's just kind of a clusterfuck of like mixed messages and strategies. Like nobody knows which way is up and what's happening. And so the 1860s, right before the civil war, it's this like rupture. The, this is when the, the women's movement really becomes like white women's movement and mm -hmm. kind of peels off from abolition more directly. It's also, of course, when the Civil War starts. And so for a lot of these women who were really involved, they're really worried about their sons, their husbands. They become politicized um, through the war. There is There are tons of refugees. And so there's a lot of work um, to support refugees and people who are fleeing. Um, this Anthony and Stanton do have this organization they start that asks for Black rights and women's rights but they can't really raise any money for it. It's like also like the middle of the war. They end up backing John C. Fremont over Lincoln in the next election um, because they believed he was more supportive of expanding suffrage for black men. Also, I like to point this out. Elizabeth had petty grievances against mm -hmm. Lincoln because of her husband, like some sick, some deal with his job and that there was some kind of scandal that her son got some bribes and she was like, mad at Lincoln about it. So of oh, course, geez. like we said, it's yep. always like a housewives of something. Yep. Um, but John C. Fremont, like I, I say this to show that I do think Stan and Anthony genuinely cared. Like they have these actions that are about 
black rights, which makes what they did so much worse. Mm -hmm. So the women's suffrage organizations really needed money. And this guy, I call him the rich guy ally, Wendell Phillips, which if I were to invent a rich guy, like a rich guy, white guy name from the 19th century, I might have been able to guess his name was Wendell Phillips. (laughs) Like something is so just perfect about that. Um, Mm. Faye Dunnan says his patrician self-confidence was such that he felt justified in telling activist women what's to do, what to do. Oh, shocker. (laughs) Yeah. Sounds about right. Right. mm -hmm. And then he had a trustee, um, Oh, the he so he was a trustee who controlled money from this other guy, Charles Hovey, Hovey. I'm not really sure how to say his last name, but he was a rich dry goods merchant from Boston who left like fifty thousand dollars for different reform movements. And so Wendell was convinced it was the quote Negro's hour. Like this is the time to really push for that reform. And so he told the women suffrage advocates, they needed to defer to black male suffrage because agitating for both at the same time would harm their chances. And at first, Anthony and Stanton tried to push for human rights for all. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to talk about the group that they got started that falls apart. Like there's so many groups. Honest to God, I'm still not sure I understand all the groups and who did what when because the acronyms all sound the same and there's just a whole lot of That's stuff happening. the next timeline to draw up. Ugh, I don't PowerPoint. know. <laughs> yeah. Nobody like screw Instagram. We're just going to send PowerPoints out to people <laughs> and that's how we're going to communicate this. So keep like keep Wendell in the back of your mind because he's just okay. floating in the background there. So Stan and Anthony start what's called the American Equal Rights Association, A-E-R-A. Lucretia Mott gets elected president. It was technically interracial, but this is where Frances Ellen Watkins Harper comes in. Mm. Um, Martha Jones says she was the only black woman to speak at this, at their first meeting, and that she really came to face these formidable figures of Stan and Anthony. And this is... These are the quotes that I just love so much, where she says, we are all bound up together in one great bundle of humanity. She doesn't say anything about property rights. She doesn't say anything about suffrage or like any of these other debates. She is laser focused on, quote, the everyday indignities black women endured. And this is the quote that I just love so much. I do not believe that giving the woman the ballot is immediately going to cure all the ills of this life. I do not believe that white women are dewdrops just exhaled from the skies. Oh my God, how good is that? Just (laughs) so good. I think that like men, they may be divided into three classes, the good, the bad, and the indifferent. The good Mm -hmm. would vote according to their convictions and principles, the bad as dictated by prejudice or malice, and the indifferent will vote on the strongest side of the question with the winning party. You white women speak of wrong, of rights, I speak of wrongs. Um, I mean, really, like this whole speech is just absolutely incredible. Is it terrible that in my mind, I am now like putting (laughs) all the women I know into each of those categories? (laughs) (laughs) You're all being (laughs) shuffled. I know who you are. Sorry, 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 sorry. Thank you, Francis. Yes, but I think she's absolutely right. And I, what I appreciate is she's not writing off white women, but she's just naming it. Like, yeah. you th- you don't have to be shitty. There's nothing, like, inevitable about that. Yeah. You could be in this other box. Please get over into this other box. Yeah. She does get elected 
to the finance committee. She was someone who was really focused on protecting black women in, in transportation, but she doesn't really stick around that long because this group just isn't, I don't know, like she stays in it for sure, like in the, the broader fight. But um, yeah, she's, I just really appreciate her just naming it very, very clearly. So, okay. So this is the A R E A A E R A A E R A. A E R A. Yeah. Okay. So one of their first actions is to try, they're using Kansas as a test case to extend women's suffrage, but it does not go well. It backfires. And so then in the wake of that failure, Stanton and Anthony blame Wendell Phillips, remember him, Mm -hmm. for withholding the money. They're like, it's because you wouldn't give us this money that we failed. And he blames them for sabotaging Black suffrage getting extended in Kansas, like nothing goes well because they tried to include women. So they both just use it as an excuse to say that they're right. Mm-hmm. And so this is when Lucy Stone bails on them and is like, fuck it, I'm out. And she tries to convert the American Anti-Slavery Society into an equal rights group, but that doesn't go well. Plus, she has like a crappy husband and is dealing with stuff at home. So here's Dudden. Fade that in. Flat broke at what they still believed was a moment of historic political opportunity. Stan and Anthony decided to make a deal with the devil and were promptly criticized as traitors to black rights, unsupported when they tried to campaign for rights for all, but condemned when they compromised. Stan and Anthony grew increasingly resentful. That always goes well. Mm. That always takes us to good, healthy places, Sounds right, ladies? Like the old ego getting <laughs> right in there. <laughs> And yeah, and desperate to win results that would justify their compromises like that desperation and resentment. That's a recipe for something delicious. Like, I can't wait to see what good comes out of that. Oh, yeah. Spoiler. I mean, I guess like the 19th Amendment gets passed, you know, several decades later. But in Sally's book, she really talks about like, that's the, the calculus they did, but they were wrong. Like yeah. they, we shouldn't look back and be like, oh, they were probably right. And that was a good decision. Like she was looking at the kind of info at, that they had at the time and saying like, I don't like, even at the time they, they clearly could have made other decisions and didn't. So here's what Dudden says. The, well, this is Stan and Anthony embraced racist Democrats and narrowed their focus to women's suffrage only as they desperately sought some way to win the vote. Political opportunism, not naivete drove them onward. Had they not believed they had a fighting chance, they would not have reached so far or stooped so low. Hmm. Boom. Hmm. This racist dude, George Francis Train, offers Hmm. them money and they agree. And then he doesn't follow through with it. So shocker once again. Yes. Also (laughs) in the margins of my notes, way to sell out for nothing. You dirty britches. Like I can't get over it. Like, and again, to Dedden's point, a a lot of times I think we'll talk a little bit more about this with our next interview with the guests coming on about the way that these legacies are remembered. And something I've heard, especially white women say in defense of women like St. and Anthony is, well, they just didn't know, or they were naive or like whatever. And it's Mm -mm. so clear that they were not, that they knew absolutely what they were doing. And the fact that they had black friends or, you know, people in their lives that they knew and cared about makes it worse. Like, how does that make it better? That you did this. I mean, we'll, we'll get into it more, but it's just so frustrating. So this is, this is the point where they start using language like ignorant and degraded to describe black people. Sometimes they stand up for black men. Sometimes they don't. It really depends on the audience. 
Um, and Frederick Douglass stays friends with Elizabeth Cady Stanton. And, and what historians were thinking is that he probably just concludes that they're like, it's maybe better than like, maybe there's, he's being opportunistic in his friendship with them. Like there, I can't remember who said this. I, I feel bad. I didn't write down the site, the source, but that he probably concluded the cause of black rights had many worse enemies than Stan and Anthony. Ugh. So I think it's like, keep your friends close and your enemies closer. I guess. I mean, <laughs> the notes I wrote to myself here, are don't pat yourself on the back for having a black friend. Like, yeah. you know, yes, Frederick Douglass stayed in, stayed in contact and, you know, stayed in touch, but, or even, you know, these other women like Frances Watkins, like there were people who stayed connected, but don't interpret that connection as endorsement or yeah. as like, a, like undying appreciation. It's like, People are being calculated, of course, because they have to be. It's survival time. So it just, it's and like. What does it say about the fact that their best option for allies yeah. were totally shitty? We're totally that was shitty. as good as it got. That's as good oh. as it's going to get. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, okay, so now we're up to like the late 1860s, early 1870s. This is when a lot of territory in the West is. Um, you know, this is settlement, this is colonization happening. And Wyoming territory is the first to protect women's suffrage. And then when it becomes a state, it's the first state that does it. In 1870, I thought you would like this. That's when Utah extends w- rights to women's suffrage. Don't Eliza Snow. Polygamy. Don't, that's, I mean, I was thinking <laughs> about your what you were talking about. I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. I'm sure that is connected. Mm-hmm. Eliza Snow, who's Brigham Young's wife, was or one of them, I one guess, like them. lead wife. I don't know <laughs> what the term is, but she was pro-suffrage. So anyway, the the West in terms of like Montana, Wyoming, Colorado, Utah, et cetera, like there was more activity there than in the East or the South. So in Colorado, for example, there's a black woman, Elizabeth Piper Ensley, who co-founded this interracial Colorado nonpartisan equal suffrage association. Again, a lot of this is coming from Veronica Chambers book, Finish the Fight, which if you have not purchased it, please do so immediately. It's so wonderful. Mm. So there, there is stuff happening and stuff that's, I, I really want to stress, I'm not focusing on Stan and Anthony because I think they're like the end all be all, but they were huge figures and they have such if we're trying to understand how white women were shitty, they're a very instructional case for us. So this isn't like an overview, like a rich, thick description of all the ways that women were fighting. It's like trying to understand how two of the most prominent figures, not just two, we'll talk about others, like really didn't do right. So also at this time, late 1860s, 1870s is Reconstruction after the Civil War. I want to shout out the Zinn Education Project, which right now has a campaign about teaching reconstruction. It's fabulous. And this is an era in our history that as a former high school history teacher, I can tell you is not well taught. It's like very glossed over, yet especially to understand our current situation is so, so, so important to understand what happened, why it failed, how the federal government bailing on its promises just massively fucked people over and put them into huge danger. This is when the Klan, like once the once reconstruction ends, the Klan is born and starts thriving. Jim Crow starts. I mean, it's just really horrible. And so it's a really important period to study Hmm. in this period. The 14th amendment gets passed, which grants citizenship to all people born or naturalized in the U S which includes formerly enslaved people and guarantees all of these citizens equal protection under the law. And we should tag for a future episode or future mini sode, 
that this has been called into question. Like, this is not a closed question for some people right now in politics that birthright citizenship should be protected. So let's put a pin in that, that mm-hmm. people on, especially the far right, have been calling that into question. And mm. it's connected to this history of white supremacy. Uh, then the 15th Amendment passed in 1870, which basically grants African-American men the right to vote. Um, Except for and so, find a whole bunch of ways to still it, exactly. get around that. <laughs> yes, right. Like poll taxes, grandfather clause, literacy, literacy tests, clauses, like yeah. all of that starts. Yes. And so 1877 is when the federal government pulls out and things just get like all of the progress, like tons of black men had been elected to office, like really a lot of progress had been made and it just like just get set back so far. Once again, so, remarking that once we have rights doesn't mean that you'll always keep them. So don't get right? comfortable. Don't get comfy. <laughs> yes. Um, so 18, like late 1860s, early 1870s is when this, the organization Stanton and Anthony started splits. And so this is according to Sally Rush Wagner, while both wanted women's suffrage, these both sides of the split. They worked in seemingly diametrically opposed ways. The NWSA, which I can't even remember what that stands for anymore, National Women's Suffrage Association, I think, Mm -hmm. worked for the federal suffrage amendment while the AWSA put its energy toward securing the right to vote state by state. It is seldom Mm. recognized that this strategy, as it supported states' rights, what does that trigger for you? Yeah, some states, i.e. the South. I'm not like, going to go along with it. <laughs> yeah, states' rights is like you should. It should like sound white supremacy alarm yep. bells for you. If yep. states could give women the vote, couldn't they also take it away from black men? Right. The federal amendment strategy for women's suffrage, on the other hand, strengthened the national government's authority to enforce equality. This difference in strategy may help explain why most of the active African American women, Mary Ann Shad Carey, Sojourner Truth, Harriet Tubman, Harriet Purvis. They went with the NWSA, while Frances um, Ellen Harper, along with Charlotte Rollin, appeared to be the only two who joined the AWSA. And I wish I knew more about it, but I was getting really stressed out trying to keep it all straight. So (laughs) that's all I can share with you. So this, but I will say a little bit more about the NWSA because (laughs) it's a couple of cool rabbit holes for people to go down. Stan and Anthony picked that side. And it was more about direct action, civil disobedience. Initially, it supported Victoria Woodhull. Do you know anything about her? I remember that name, but not details. I want to learn everything about her. She was a newspaper editor and stockbroker. You know, your typical lady job in In the the 1870s. 1870s. (laughs) With her sister, whose name was Tennessee Claflin. So, like, these are not real people. They (laughs) exposed Wall Street tycoons, sexual assault on teenage girls. So, have we ever left 1871? (laughs) And exposed um, Henry Ward Beecher, who was the, oh my God, this is so gossipy, but he, so the AWSA, which is the split, splinter group. Yes. They elect a man, which makes sense for a women's suffrage association. They elect Henry Ward Beecher of the Beecher, like Stowe Beecher. Yes. Mm -hmm. And then Victoria Woodhull basically outs him for the scandal that he was having an affair with 
someone from the NW's essay, I, I it's later in my notes, I'll, I'll shout it out when I get to it, but she gets arrested for obscenity for revealing this scandal. She ran for president. She was also a supporter of free love. Like, I just want to know everything about her. Hmm. Um, also, this group had Belva Lockwood in it, who also ran for president. She actually won the electoral votes of Indiana, and the delegates wow. voted for her as a joke, but the government yeah. illegally refused to accept the results. Oh, it's really funny. It's just <laughs> such a good joke. Uh, they also were like really into birth control and reproductive rights. They were very outspoken against Christianity. So you can tell that that part of the group only lasted so long before mm-hmm. Stan and Anthony, I think, were like, maybe back it up. Because they mm-hmm. weren't, they were much more pragmatists. Or I don't know if that's the right word, but just they weren't, they might have agreed with that, but they weren't going to like publicly go around talking about free love. Yeah. Um, Lucy Stone, remember her? She left. No, she's She back. left. She was part of this other splinter group that Henry Ward Beecher was part of. And they partnered with the Women's Christian Temperance Union it was much more of like a conservative group and were really into like Christian piety, purity. And that's what I, yeah. So that's them. Then this is where I don't really get all the details, but it didn't make a ton of sense to have two separate groups. So Stanton um, and Anthony, like, especially Anthony, Napoleon, like figure out this kind of shady merger kind of behind the scenes of these two groups. So, yeah. Oh, yes. Okay. So, so there's this scandal too that Victoria Woodhull like outs Henry Ward Beecher for having an affair with this other person. So it just it's like kind of a mess. So Susan B. Anthony behind the scenes, per her use, is like, I will clean this up. We're gonna only talk about the vote. That's what we're gonna do, and and basically makes all of these sort of compromises, um, to try to like pull something together. And this, it becomes very top down hierarchical and they do actually focus on states rights. They allow state auxiliaries to exclude black women. They support quote, educated suffrage, which is clearly marketing to racist white people. people. Mm -hmm. They become increasingly religiously conservative. Mm, Um, Stanton actually wrote a woman's Bible and then they, people were like that's not cool so there it just sounds like a lot going on like it's hard to pin anthony down like you were overseeing this but you said you've written and said and done other things so like what is going on um they had nothing to say about the disenfranchisement of black people or lynching which sally names as the like clearly recognized practice for maintaining white power and of course ida b wells um, is writing about lynching, like trying to document it, trying to talk about just how horrible this is. She founds the first suffrage club for black women called Alpha. Um, she is just nonstop pointing this out at the time and mm-hmm. calling Anthony out nonstop at the time. We'll talk more about her um, next week. And she calls Anthony out specifically for being personally committed to racial justice, but doing fuck all publicly. Mm-hmm. Like, that was named. So it reminds me of what Sally said in our last interview. Like, she knew. So I'm not going to cut you any slack. Like, you knew. They yeah. banned black women from the convention, from membership. So this is why a lot of black women formed their own suffrage groups that also were multi-issue. Like, they were like, we can handle more than one thing at a time. So we're going to fight against lynch- lynching. We're going to fight for education. Lots of other things. Then there were white women that wanted to be more radical and broke off like Alice Paul and they were more militant, also racist though. So don't mm-hmm. worry that 
stayed true. And we'll talk more about that um, next week as well. So this is the group NASA, I don't know, N-A-W-S-A, that gets the 19th Amendment over the finish line. And Carrie Chapman Cat is going to come in to be a very big player next week and kind of pick up the baton from Anthony and Stanton. Um, and that's the story that we're going to talk about next time. There's so much dirt. I know. It's so, so crazy. <laughs> what, like, of all of that... What, what are you leaving today with? Or like, what's kind of like front of mind with that? The compromises and the lack of a creative vision of a way to do more than one thing. Like Mm -hmm. just this focus that, you know, we have to get this one thing through at the expense of everything else Mm -hmm. never goes well in the long term. And I just, I wonder how we could do it. How, how do you do it differently now? How do you incorporate all of those things? And I think the way that you do it is by getting all of the voices represented. Hmm. I think the more you bring into it, the better it's going to be. If you find yourself narrowing down, if you find yourself silencing people and just Hmm. focusing on one thing, then you're probably, probably going to regret that in the long run. It's not going to get you where you need to be. And like genuinely sharing power and control, yes. like genuinely. And those, the very early groups that, that when the women were not allowed, like interracial groups of women weren't allowed to participate in the abolitionist organizations, like very early on, they, it, from what I can tell, it was that, you know, that there was this opportunity to do it. So like you said, having some creativity and vision, like it can be different. I'm also thinking about, I, I cannot remember the name of this guy. If I could, I would absolutely say it because. I was so furious in this meeting and I have no problem like dragging him for this comment (laughs) that he's um, from Des Moines. He was in town for a book signing and he was involved in all these really big, high profile social movements and wrote a book about organizing. And so he was giving this big talk about progressive organizing and talk, 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 talk. So he gets done and there's Q&A. So I ask, what advice do you have for people that are are being harmed within a progressive social movement, like Mm -hmm. sexual assault, racism, etc. And his answer as a white man was, you got to keep your eyes on the prize and all of that you can deal with later. Like stay focused Mm -hmm. on what the goals are and you got to just get that taken care of. And I feel like that is such an answer of white supremacy and power Mm -hmm. and maleness like the the put it on a shelf mm-hmm. we're not we can't we don't have the capacity to deal with that just mm-hmm. take all of this on but keep focusing on what we want you to focus on it shows up in so many things well let's call that janing somebody because sorry for the janes <laughs> who are listening and who aren't assholes but jane swissalm like her quotes yeah. just jumped out at me like we don't have time for that here mm-hmm. like that's not like let us be racist here because we don't have time to like take care of that. We're focused on women's rights. Like I know I've, I, it of course still happens today. And I, I know white women are a huge part of this, like dismissing shit that's brought to their attention because they think it will distract from this bigger goal at hand that a goal they have likely articulated and are invested in, but it's, 
when first you of all, dismiss like you said, that stuff, it just rots the foundation out from underneath yes. you. Like you think What's you're building this house, you think you're like creating something, but it's all going to fall apart when all of the trash that you've left around is still there. Hot, toxic garbage is <laughs> yeah. what that is. Yeah, it is. And you know, it, it's, uh, it's, one of the takeaways that I'm going to have, like, I, I don't know why Jane is on my shit list, but she is <laughs> like, it's just so prevalent. And it's it. If everyone listening, it just thinks about it. I'm sure even in the last week, something has happened that they could point to and be like, yep, that's that, mm-hmm. that it's it's not worth it. And it isn't even if you say like, well, eventually they the 19th Amendment got passed, like there's nothing to say that it wouldn't have happened better, faster, more broadly Without us out of all the shit that we're still in, had we addressed the problems to begin with instead of sweeping them under the rug. No rugs. Again, clean (laughs) laundry. People, clean it up. Well, okay, so that's where we're leaving you. And then I'm going to pass the baton to you. So I'm going to get us up to the 19th Amendment next week. Okay. And then we've got awesome, awesome guests uh, that I cannot wait to talk to who've been involved in organizing against the honoring of Carrie Chapman Cat on my campus. I cannot wait for them to share their stories about their activism and why they care so much about this and why it's such an important issue and all the ways that they've had to fight white lady chicanery throughout their their time as activists. And I it's going to be great. So that conversation will be the bridge between everything leading up to the 19th Amendment and then all of the work and dirty laundry that comes after that 1920 moment so okay that's where we're going take off those corsets breathe deeply (laughs) unstrap we're almost done with the 19th century so we can we can breathe again uh have a great week everybody take care thanks for listening again thanks bye